Welcome to the Leadership Pulse, where we talk about all things healthcare, burnout, leadership, and culture. I'm your co-host, Jessica, and this is your co-host, Becky. Good morning, Jess. How are you? Good. Good, good. I have the pleasure of introducing our guest today. We have Dr. Miriam Z. Dr. Z is a triple board certified internal medicine in internal medicine, geriatrics, and obesity medicine with extensive clinical experience. She completed her medical education and geriatric fellowship in Peru and provided patient care for over 10 years in the Naval Geriatric Center. Dr. Z moved to the U.S. in 2011, where she completed her training in internal medicine and geriatrics at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. Dr. Z has a deep interest in the topics of well-being, burnout prevention, mental health, and leadership. She completed a fellowship in leadership education and development with the MC, as well as certification as a mental health ally and physician wellness advocate. For her dedication, she is selected as a member of the Wellness and Professional Fulfillment National Committee of the American College of Physicians. In addition, she received the Award of Mentor of the Year from the AMC in 2022. Dr. Z is also the author of the book, The 3G Cycle of Life. Miriam, welcome to the podcast. We are so glad to have you here with us. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. All right. So I'm going to open and I just asked the question we're asking to all of our... So the question is, if there is one thing you could shout from the rooftops that you want every person in healthcare to hear about culture, burnout, or medicine in general, what would that be? One thing that I want everybody to know, we are all human. We are all human. Yeah. Meaning that we are not supposed to be perfect. Yeah. We have a heart, we have a soul, and we deserve better. Yeah. So tell me more about that. So specifically, get a little more into detail what that means to you. After 20 years of practicing medicine, I got to a point that even I love medicine, I was not proud of. I invested all my efforts on be the person that I was expected to be. The lady in the white coat, Super Miriam or Super Dr. C, <laughs> depending. And that that was something that I love to be. I was very happy with that place and with that position. And sadly, that meant at the same time that I was compromising the other Miriam, the Miriam mommy, the Miriam wife, the Miriam friend, daughter. And I didn't know that. I was not aware that it was happening. I saw around and what I saw was exactly what I was doing because my friends and the people that I I spent my, the most of my time and most of my life, they were physicians too. So I didn't know better. And I didn't have any mentor, even I have fantastic mentors in the clinical aspect, right? I never had a mentor that told me you deserve better. And it's painful to realize that you are in your 50s with small kids, with parents that are old, and that you spend big part of the time being a professional, which means that I was half of me or a third of me or a quarter of me. I was living just that area and enhancing that area when I was sacrificing others. Um, that means that I was sacrificing myself too. And I didn't know that either. Now, was there like an aha moment or like, I get a turning point or was it like a series of everything? What made you stop in your tracks and start doing something to change it? So I, I don't think that there was an aha moment. I would rather 
I would rather to go in my way that in the aha moments, because the aha moments, normally there are someone had a stroke or someone close to you died. So probably I am very grateful that I didn't have the aha moment. No, it, for me was a combination of COVID with having a leadership position in a very toxic environment and having um, people working with me that were victims of abuse and microaggression and I didn't notice many of those things before. I, I I always thought that this is not real, this will never happen to me, or if it's happening, I will ignore it because I grow up with this mentality that everything will be okay, this toxic optimism, right, that many of us, we learn in a way to survive, right? I have my white coat over my, my, my body, I am, powerful it's like i am super girl really but when when i realized that something wrong was happening is when i saw it in others so when i saw my colleagues suffering when i saw my residents my staff i start like inquiring about what is this i never heard the word burnout before in my life until covid or maybe a few months or before covid it was like burnout what is that and how? Like, doctors, we don't burn out. We can be awake for hours. We, we stay in the hospital for three days in a row and nothing happened to us. And when I start seeing this happening to others, I start questioning myself, okay, <laughs> what is this? So I felt so ignorant that I start to get training because if you are in a leadership position and we were mentioning this in some part of our conversation before, that being a good clinician doesn't make you a good leader. And I was not able to be a good leader for this specific situation because I didn't have the tools, I didn't have the training. Mm -hmm. So I started to get educated and that's the reason for leadership academies and all those things that doesn't look very close to medical school and yeah. in one of my trainings actually it was a six-month training to be a, an, a physician wellness advocate part of the training really was to have sessions it was a small group i believe we were 10 and we will have sessions with our coach and we will be doing some kind of therapy i didn't know that was part of the deal if not i will i'm sure i will avoid it let's be clear like any other physician i will be oh no way i don't need this i'm okay mm -hmm. but it was a surprise and it took me four months to realize that I was as burnt out as the people that I was trying to save. And I cried that day and my coach, my mentor in, in this program told me, oh, you really last for so long without <laughs> admitting this. You're a tough cookie, right? I'm like, yeah, I am. But I was so affected because was sad for me to recognize that I was not a superhero because it was sad for me to recognize that I was weak and I felt disappointed about myself. Um, then I felt disappointed of my, about my role as mom and daughter and friend, sister, wife, etc. It's like what I am doing with my life. And that's mm. painful. <laughs> Yeah. So then when you went through that experience and coming on the other side of it, what had changed with you or what did you notice from that experience? Oh, that was a wonderful experience. <laughs> Even it was very traumatic. I know it sounds very bizarre. 
because at that point I didn't have to use a mask anymore. I didn't have to mm-hmm. fake anymore. Mm-hmm. I was able to remove this big backpack of responsibilities and be myself without feeling ashamed or afraid. It was just me. And you know what? It was more comfortable. I was not perfect, yeah, but I was more comfortable with who I am. It was less stressing and less... I was not so tired anymore of trying to be someone that I was not. And that was wonderful because when I start acting like myself, say, oh my goodness, I had an awful night. I'm destroyed today. Or, oh my gosh, that encounter really was difficult. In front of my residents, first was, oh, what's going on with Dr. C? <laughs> She's not like that. She's always positive. But what happened later is that many of those residents start coming to my office and share their own concerns and their own human being problems and situations and i believe that my vulnerability opened the door for others to feel comfortable being humans and asking for help so it had some kind of butterfly effect if you want to call it like that when you change yourself you allow or you give permission to others to also change to also be free Yeah. And that vulnerability piece is huge. It's almost like a domino effect that once someone does it, it definitely creates a better culture of psychological safety. If someone I admire and is essentially in a higher position has the courage to be vulnerable, it gives me hope. And if Some people are like instant, some people are repeated, but it gives me the leeway to also be courageous, to be vulnerable. Yes, and we need that. We absolutely need that because we have been told forever. And this is even something that they push more in women, right? Probably you ladies had the same experience. When you are a woman in a leadership position, you need to be tougher than a guy, right? <laughs> you need to be more serious and more strict So because if not, they will not believe you, they will not respect you. So you have to become a version of a monster in high heels, right? So that is not true. I believe that you can lead with a smile in your face and with a hug when it's needed. And this trauma of I need to become a man to be a good leader as a woman is ridiculous. You can be a good woman leader in your own way. You don't need to become a man or a monster on heels to be a good leader. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And now when you talk about how you were essentially trained to be a perfect machine, how did that affect the rest of your life? Because I'm assuming that mentality doesn't just get chucked at the door once you leave your clinician, your clinicals and all of that. Oh, you are, you are, yeah, you become what I did, a workaholic type A, perfectionist, very mean with myself. I will never celebrate a win because that was not acceptable. I have extra wins to get. Don't celebrate. You still have a lot of things to do. Yeah. And you are your worst enemy at some point. You don't give a break to yourself and forget about making mistakes. That's the worst, right? It's unacceptable. (laughs) And that happens with everything, including your personal life. 
everything. And I used to put my clothes organized by colors and I will be at 3 a.m. getting things organized in my house. My husband will be terrified that I am, but I got cured. And I will tell you how I got cured. I got pregnant with two kids and I was <laughs> so desperate because time was not enough and toys were all over. And I had so many things to do in general that I developed a real superpower is selective blindness. Yeah. I can walk right now between toys and ignore them completely until the next day. And I feel yeah. so mm. happy. <laughs> yeah. And that's something that you can take to other things, right? To be selectively blind mm. to things that you don't need to worry about, to think yeah. about your locum of control, what I can do, what I cannot do, the limit, right? I am responsible for the complete world and the weather and etc. or I just can't deal with the things that are around me and I, I need to compromise the rest of the universe because I don't have that power. So selective blindness is a very good superpower to have. <laughs> yeah. And what I'm hearing you say a lot of is the growth in self-awareness <sighs> that you've had to have to get to the point that you are right now. But to get to grow and to get to be self-aware, you need to have a moment where you start peeling the onion and every layer that you are peeling comes with some kind of tears right and sneezing and your eyes red and etc has to be intentional it's a process that has to be intentional except that again you have an aha moment that i recommend not to have i think that they are very traumatic but this has to be an intentional process where you make friends with yeah. yourself in the mirror and you say, okay, we are a team, right? I'm not attacking you anymore. We have to live with each other for the rest of our life. Let's make this yeah. to function in a better way. Yeah. So how yeah. do we do this? So you're noticing those tendencies that you have. So the perfectionism, high self-expectation, and I want to highlight, so you wrote a book called The 3G Cycle of Life and talking about burnout in that book. And so some of those tendencies can be individual characteristics of what caused burnout. And we were talking before we really got onto the show here a little bit, highlighting how to individually manage burnout. So can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, I want to clarify that as many, I agree that burnout comes from a system that is broken and not only on healthcare, but in general, right? Burnout is affecting the population in different careers, in different countries, women and men, even is affecting parents, right? And those that are not working. We have a pandemia, pandemic of burnout, and I don't see this as an individual disease anymore or condition. I see this as a community condition. Uh, that's my perspective. And the reason for saying that is that if you have levels of 70% of in general population of people that is burned out, are burned out, this is a big part of our community. And I agree that we need to change the system. We need to improve the systems. I have it clear and I want to mention that I don't think that the individual aspect of the management of burnout will save the world. That's not true. Correct. However, I'm saying that I believe that this 
20% or 30% that belongs to individuals needs to be corrected as soon as possible. Because in the meantime, till all these CEOs and COOs and C-suites in general and leaders in different positions decide to find a way to solve this, we have decades ahead of us. Maybe I am not as optimistic as other people will be, but I'm trying to be realistic based on my own experiences and conversations with other experts. So what happened in the meantime? And in the meantime is that three to 400 physicians die by suicide every year in this country. So every day we have one or two. We have 46,000 of individuals dying by suicide in this country, US, every year. And that's not acceptable and that should not be sustainable, and that's something that we need to stop. Or we fix the problem in the systemic part, and again, that's not happening. I don't see this happening now. Or we start giving the individuals the tools to at least be resilient. I'm not even talking about grow. I'm not talking about miracles, right? I'm No, but at least to survive enough to have the strength or to take a position of leadership and be part of the change or to be able to survive as good as possible while the change comes. Because if not, these numbers will keep going up. I don't see how not. So the book really targets this individual aspect to give Mm -hmm not only hope, but to give tools to individuals that will allow them to continue with their life as good as possible under the circumstances. Yeah, I... Yeah, because one of the huge pieces to the burnout too is feeling like you have no control over it and the system is just throwing you yoga and self-care routines and things like that. It doesn't help that piece. If I do yoga every day, and I'm still in this broken system, it doesn't always help. But if I'm given tools that also lead to what you say, if I can get in a position of leadership, if I can do these things because of the tools that I'm utilizing, that helps me feel control over a situation. I have a, I'm better equipped to be able to handle helping to change it. Because I think what we've all realized is the change isn't going to happen if we're relying just on the C-suites in the system. That is clear. That is clear. Mm -hmm. And sometimes change needs to come from down up. And I feel like in some way, this is the moment for that. And what you're saying is so true. Control. We are, we, in some point of our lives, I have no idea when or how it happened, but for physicians, it's very clear, and I assume that it's clear for anybody else. We lost control, we lost autonomy, and at some point we became victims of the system. And that ended to be awful. Why? Because it's not that I am a victim and I suffer by myself and etc., but I am a victim and I will not do anything to improve this. I will just decide to be watching the movie of my life, right? Because I am a victim. And being a victim is a very comfortable place to be 
Because when you are a victim, you don't have any responsibility. You cannot be blamed. Everything is happening to you. Oh, the system sucks. Oh, the pharmacy didn't have the medication. Oh, my boss is mean. Oh, that's sweet. So I cannot do anything. No, I will not go to HR because they will not pay attention to me. So at some point, you are just a chair in that office because you don't have nothing to give. That's so comfortable, right? Such a comfortable yeah. place to be. I believe that we need to remove ourselves from the comfort, jump into a pool that I feel has water, <laughs> at least some, and start being adults and behave like adults and behave like the doctors, lawyers, teachers, policemen, cleaning ladies that we could be, right? And be responsible for the world where, our, where we are living because we have kids coming behind us, learning from us, and we can decide to make this world better for them and to teach them to be responsible individuals, or we can teach them with our acts that they are also victims and put them in a situation where they are they will be emotionally disabled, right, the rest of their lives. Yeah. And I believe yeah. that's not I fair. That, and I think that's a huge piece too to even individuals wanting to sign up for medical school, residency, and all of these things, because right now the picture we're painting is you're going to give up your years of life and then you may as well go to prison almost, like where it's not a good bang for your buck. And I think a lot of the upcoming generations are starting to see that. So if we want it, if we want to attract more physicians and clinicians to really give up large portions of their lives for the care of others, we can't just depend on them wanting to do it because of the service to others. Like we've got to yeah. increase yeah. that whole thing. Yeah, but they want to say some people at this point. Let me make it very simple for you ladies. I love medicine. I adore medicine. I will not be doing anything else than medicine. I practiced medicine for 10 years in my country. I came here and my husband asked me, what do you want to do with your life? And I selected the same career, the same specialty, the same subspecialty, and the same type of practice teaching, right? And doing research. When I was able to just, you know, change my life or be a mother or be whatever, I and if I have to do it again, I will do it again because there is no better place to be. I don't see any other career where you can invent yourself every day, that you can be curious, that you can be creative, that you are in touch with people, that you can write or do research or teach or have a leadership position and you can jump from one on the other and where you are saving life every day, you know, that you can really touch the heart of people every day. And then after that, you get a paycheck. Can you get better than that? There's nothing better than that. And because nothing is better than that, it's because I believe that we cannot stay as bystanders and we cannot just be victims of the system. We have to regain the control and show how medicine needs to be done yeah. so we can mm -hmm. provide 
not only the patients, but provide ourselves the well-being that all of us we deserve. Because when you practice with happiness and when you feel satisfied of what you are doing and you go that night to bed and you say, oh my goodness, this was an awesome day. I did this for someone. You are healing. That's the best reward. Till today, I can tell you, I care more about, and this may sound very bizarre, especially in this country, I care more about what I did, what I teach, the hug that I received, the tiny present that I got, maybe a flower, than the paycheck. What is vitamin for my soul is the emotional aspect of medicine. And that emotional aspect still is there. It's yeah. there for us to pay attention because patients still are there, and students still mm -hmm. are there. Are we paying attention to those tiny moments of happiness and vitamin for our souls? Are we so busy, so upset, so victimized that we forgot that still that happiness and joy in medicine exists? It's our decision to be miserable or to keep enjoying it. Yeah. I, I, I want to enjoy it. I love your I, I passion. Did. I love it. <laughs> It's true. I truly love medicine. And I hope that mm -hmm. we can recover that old-fashioned medicine mm -hmm. that was so beautiful. I have patients from Peru, and maybe this family will watch this. So I send you love. So they were my first patients when I was being a resident in Peru. We are talking about too many years now. And my first <laughs> private patients, I don't know why they decided to that I will be a good doctor for the family, but they really, they trust me. I was young, young, super young. And I was like with a big imposter syndrome and terrified to go. The first time that I received money in a private practice. Today is more than probably 15 years, if not more. I still, I am in contact with the family. They send me pictures. The mom is not here anymore, but the dad is above 90 and they send me pictures and I, they send me a video of him dancing for his birthday. Uh, can you get something more amazing than that? That type of love and relationship. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. That's medicine. Yeah. Ah, I love it so much. It just paints the picture to like why people get in medicine in the first place. And I think we've just been so yeah. far removed from it the last several years. And it's getting that passion back and that the meaning, the identity back of who you're be excuse me, who you're becoming in medicine again. So I wanna wrap up by just three tips you might give somebody to reinstitute that the identity of why you're going back into medicine, or if you're feeling in this stuck or burnout place, or just feeling that lackluster feeling, what were some tips or what are some tips you might give people to help get that drive back? The first one will be going back to this onion and vulnerability, <laughs> right? Allow yourself to be vulnerable, allow yourself to be human. And that comes with the idea that it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be perfect and therefore it's okay to ask for help. You don't need you don't need to go through difficult times, whatever they look like, even if that means that you had a difficult encounter or you have a non-common case that you are not sure about or something bigger, like you are sick or you are depressed or someone in your family is dying. You don't need to go through those moments of your life, professional or personal, by yourself. 
There are friends around you. There are family. There are counselors. There are resources surrounding you. And it's okay to ask for help. So that will be my number one. My number two is be present, something that I am working very hard on. I'm still not there, but I am trying my best. Be present, because when you are present, you can enjoy what you are doing. And when you are present, those that are around you can enjoy with you. And that means that if you are with your kid, even if it's two minutes, take your phone out and take your ideas of the things that you have to do Put them on pause. They will not run away. They are still in your agenda. But be these two minutes with your kids or your mother or whoever you know you are at the moment. And that means also be present with your patients. Because what you will discover is not only that you will practice better medicine because you are paying attention. But what will happen is that you will be able to capture this vitamin for your soul moment right? This smile from your patient, this thank you, this I am feeling much better, thank you, doctor, that will reinforce what you are doing. And I will say the third one, the third one is make friends with yourself, be kind with yourself. We are not, we are mean, we are our worst enemies, we are the ones that push ourselves the most. Be kind with yourself. Sometimes it's not bad to go and say, hey, (laughs) I did a great job today. So good. Why not? Why we don't treat ourselves with the same love and with the same respect that we will be treating someone else? Why not? Why we don't deserve that? So be kind with yourself. That is such a perfect way to wrap up because it's exactly how you started of being human. That's like your one thing you want people to hear. And I love that you said that. So it's okay not to be okay. Finding those resources, being present to be able to celebrate the wins and just being humble and being open to be yourself. I love that. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. We've had a great time talking to you. Thank you so much. And I want to say, what I want to say is that I am very grateful for having you ladies doing this. I believe that this is a demonstration that the clinical aspect can merge with the non-clinical aspect of medicine and that we are able to interact and to collaborate and make this better. So this is the demonstration of what needs to happen in bigger scale and great. It's a great example that I hope that leaders will follow. So you guys are doing something amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you everyone for joining us on these episode of the Leadership Pulse.